Today's episode of the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling is brought to you by Blue Chew. The upcoming presentation is a Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the Two Man Power Trip. Oh my God! This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the Two Man Power Trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the Prince of Pro Wrestling, and you are listening to Two Man Power Trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the Boogie Woogie Man. Tell my people, my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there! This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again i appreciate you asking me back so you said you were going to pinch yourself i didn't know it was that kind of show now i mean if you guys are in the privacy of your own home if you want to do these things good how you doing chad hey johnny cool man what's going on we're ready to go or what okay. hey man what's up guys this is homicide oh that's my homie homicide with a big homie club yeah that would be it hey this is david penzer and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, me, Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. Almost a brain buster. Very close to it, I might point out. That, of course, can jam the spinal column, catch that axis vertebrae, and really cause a lot of harm. There it is again. And that may have been indeed a brain buster. It was. He got the three count. He got the three count, but the official word is our ring announcer. Ladies and gentlemen, in the official time of four minutes, 57 seconds, the fall and the match go to Mr. Perfect, Jerry Stubbs. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling, brought to you today and powered by our good old sponsor, Blue Chew. Stay tuned a little bit later on in the show to find out how you can take advantage of our very special offer with the folks over at BlueChew.com, but you know that's a little bit later on to come, and if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner here on the two-man power trip, the one and only JP John Paz, and today on the show, we are heading down into the Mid-South region, we are heading down to talk about a little bit of the continental wrestling era, we're talking to Mr. Olympia, Jerry Stubbs, who in himself is a two-time Mid-South 
Tag Team Champion, a two-time CWF World Tag Team Champion, and a former NWA World Junior Heavyweight Champion. And in this interview conducted earlier this year, you're going to hear a lot of cool stories about that Mid-South region and a lot of stories about Bill Watts and the Mr. Olympia gimmick and matches where, I mean, gosh, when we talk about Mid-South, it's a who's who of who's ever competed in the professional wrestling world. You think of guys like Paul Orndorff and Tully Blanchard and the Junkyard Dog and obviously the Rat Pack with Ted DiBiase and Matt Bourne and Hacksaw Jim Duggan and some of the booking that was ahead of its time and we would basically not see uh, for many, many years and that all came from the brain of Cowboy Bill Watts. But we also get to talk about the Fullers, the Armstrongs and Continental But we also talk about the early career of Arn Anderson and the relationship that Arn Anderson had with Jerry Stubbs. So there's a lot of cool stuff in this interview. If you don't know much about Mr. Olympia, Jerry Stubbs, you're going to find out a ton about his amazing career. And I think something really cool about that continental wrestling territory is that a lot of those guys are very close and a lot of them stick together and you see a ton of events that happen down in that uh, Dothan, Alabama area down into uh, Florida and also really uh, kind of centralized in the territory that they used to compete in where you see guys like Jerry Stubbs and you see guys like the Armstrong family and Tommy Rich and Dr. Tom. You see them still kind of getting together every so often and doing some reunions and some fan fests and it just kind of speaks to uh, the tightness of that continental wrestling territory as well as also how can I forget the Fullers and Jimmy Golden. They're all wrapped into that same little network of that continental wrestling family where they still get together every so often and relive some of those great memories. And that's something that, you know, we like to do on the show. We like to bring those memories straight to you. So strap in and enjoy this interview with Jerry Stubbs. Find him on Facebook. He's got a lot of cool pictures up. He's got a lot of great information. And you can see where some of those reunion shows are going on because he's uh, pretty much uh, booked on all those because he was such an integral part of the continental wrestling territory as well as the Mid-South territory. So that's enough out of me. Let's get it on over to the interview and let's strap in for a little bit of a trip down to the Mid-South region, the continental region, as we talk to Mr. Olympia, Jerry Stubbs. Now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno Sammartino, the late great American Dream Dusty Rhodes, the Enforcer Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr., Glenn Kane Jacobs, the phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, and so many others. Also, while you're on the internet, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs. Check out our page. Check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Magnum TA, and so many others. Also, while you're on the web, check out our website, TMPTOfWrestling.com. And for all you Android users, please hit us up on Google Play or Player FM. And all you iOS users, please check us out on TuneIn Radio, Automatic, Spotify, and now iHeartRadio. And now, without any further ado, a former two-time Mid-South Tag Team Champion, a former two-time CWF World Tag Team Champion, and a former NWA World Junior 
heavyweight champion. You may know him as Mr. Olympia. He is Jerry Stubbs. Please enjoy. All right. Well, joining us on the line tonight is a former two-time Mid-South Tag Team Champion. He's a two-time Continental Wrestling World Tag Team Champion and NWA World Junior Heavyweight Champion. Not only is he the original Mr. Perfect, but he is also Mr. Olympia as a Southeastern wrestling legend. Jerry Stubbs joins the two-man powers trip. Mr. Stubbs, thank you for coming on tonight. Man, I enjoy it. I enjoy it. You know, I hear a lot of stories, people... I get a little older, and, you know, some of these stories I don't remember until they start talking about them. And when they start talking about them, I can remember a lot of those things. You know, one time, you know, you talk about uh, the original Mr. Perfect uh, there. You know, we were in Japan, and I gave Kurt Henning perfect idea, and he went to New York and started using it there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Say, uh Quite the fitting, uh, you know, name to pass along to a guy who was nearly perfect. But, you know, I guess it had to start somewhere. So how did you become, you know, the original Mr. Perfect? Because obviously Kurt Henning is going to have some pretty good shoes to fill if he's got your blessing to carry on that name someplace else. Well, you know, Gordon Soley, you know, he was one of the the best. And uh, we were were there and I looked at Gordon Soley one day and he said, you know, I'm perfect. You know, that's me, Mr. Perfect. I am perfect. And he said, yeah, you think you are. And I said, well, you need to start telling everybody I'm Mr. Perfect. And look at that. And that's history right there. And it's pretty damn good because not only is perfection something that I think everybody wants to be, not only in life but in the wrestling business, if you can be perfect, then you're damn sure going to be pretty skilled in the ring. So, Obviously, the ring skills are going to uh, translate pretty well, but was it hard to live up to that Mr. Perfect name once you started to adopt that kind of moniker, especially with a guy like Gordon Soley being the man behind the mic, kind of dubbing that? Yeah, you're right. Uh, to call yourself there, you've got, to be, uh, you've got to be able to do just about anything. You've got to be evil. You've got to be smart. You've got to be uh, pretty much... Uh, uh, the good guy sometimes. you you got to be just about anything that you need to be to get over in the wrestling and profession. Because back then, if you couldn't draw money or if you couldn't do what you said you could do, uh, if you weren't as mean as you, you said you were going to be, you weren't going to make it. And where you spent pretty much the majority of your career in that southeastern, continental, you know, mid-south territory, those fans are quite possibly the most rabid fans I think anybody in wrestling's ever seen. And still, you can go back and watch the footage now and just see everything that you guys did in a, in a heated angle or a big-time match. It just drove the fans absolutely nuts. So you know that when you go out there to work, you got to give it not only 110%, but you got to show them something different every time so did that make it hard for you as a uh, you know as somebody is who was quote perfect to make sure every time a fan came to see you that they got their money's worth well you know my in my in my opinion i i always felt like i had to do what i had to do to make sure that they got their money's worth and, and whether it was good bad ugly or whatever 
they're going to get their money's worth if I go after them. And, and I wanted them to do that. You know, me and Ted DiBiase, uh, we had a we had a run with uh, uh, Mr. Wrestling 2, and I think it was Tiger Conway Jr. Uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And we had to fight our way out, and uh, it got real rough. And, you know, sometimes, you know, when you, you see the security guards run, uh, you're saying, oh, my God, we ain't got nobody to protect us. So we finally had some wrestlers behind, you know, back there in the States that come and tried to get us back to the dressing room. But, you know, you, you never know. I mean, things like that happen all the time. People get excited. They get, care, you know, carried away. And, uh, and you look back and you say, hey, that's what we did. That's what we're supposed to do. They're going to be back next week. And for the security guards to be running away, is uh, that's a pretty big deal, especially with, I'm sure, every locker room you were in, as, uh, as Hacksaw Jim Duggan likes to call it, it's the snake pit of tough guys, where security guards might be hiding behind some of the wrestlers because, my God, some of those people there, you know, Jesus, they could take out an army if they wanted to. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it is something. You've got to give them something different. You've got to give them something that they want to come back with. But you mentioned DiBiase there, and obviously you guys both as a team and against each other always having, you know, memorable angles, big-time matches. But Ted DiBiase, obviously, you know, he went on to be a pretty big, you know, character with the million-dollar man. But I think a lot of people forget that Ted DiBiase, you know, he dominated that Mid-South Territory basically, you know, as a one-man wrecking crew for many, many years. Oh, yes, yes. And, you know, they were grooming him for the world championship. I don't know exactly what exactly happened, uh, but he, I mean, he, in my opinion, yes, he could have been a world champion. And uh, we, we had some matches, and he took me on as I was Mr. Olympia, and he said, man, he said, men, you need to be a team. We need, And then I said, why don't we get something called a Rat Pack? And we got a Rat Pack started in the Mid-South, you know, with Duggan and me and him and uh, Skandor Akbar and a lot of other people. And, and we we uh, we did well. Uh, it just kind of changed everything up from being a single on single or, or tag team on a tag team. It was something that was different, and you had to beat us. You know, because we're going to beat you, but you got to come get us. It's almost like basically the original faction, you know, in wrestling. When you think about the great groups, when you think about the Rat Pack, you see where they started. You know, the Rat Pack is one of the first, you know, factions or stables that really uh, took on that gang mentality. But, you know, all those guys you mentioned, even throwing a Matt Bourne in there, too, Every single one of those guys brought something different to the table. And how do you compliment the other guys in the group because you're all special with doing your own personal things? But how do you guys kind of compliment each other working as a tandem? Well, you see things that, that you might say, hey, man, you might want to try this. or You might want to try that. That You know, the way you're doing something there, if you can add this to it, you know, you may be even a little better. It may be even a little flashier. I mean, we're we're entertainers. You know, people, they know that. But we're entertainers. We try to entertain the people. It's just like cowboys and Indians. You don't think the cowboys are killing the Indians, but yet it's entertaining. You like to watch the show. And, and sometimes it gets 
way out of hand and uh you see a little more than you should because it gets rough because uh people lose their temper you know that happens uh and it happens a lot and uh but we know that we know that's going to happen you know i'm gonna lose my temper if he hits me in the nose or something you know hey that's okay but don't do it again he hits me again then hey we got a problem and and that's the way the old school is you know you just take care of yourself first and mr wrestling too is the first one that'll tell you that hey i'm gonna take care of myself if you can't take care of yours you need to get out of the business yeah that's a definite uh that's a I, i would say a lost art you know within it because you know now the business is very entertainment driven and uh, I know a lot of old school fans like John and myself, we clamor for what you guys stood for, what you guys did in the ring, what you guys were doing outside. We, that's what we clamor for. But I just want to stick with Mid-South here if we can, talking about the Rat Pack, talking about DiBiase. Uh, Mid-South has gone on to grow quite the legend. And now that WWE owns the rights to the territory, it's showing it uh, on the network. There's a DVD out about Mid-South. But what was it about Mid-South wrestling that was so special during its heyday? I believe it was the people. Uh, Junkyard Dog came in. He was different. He was different with the people. Being a black wrestler and you got Cajun people, I mean, you didn't know how people were going to react. Uh I mean, look at today's society. It's it's really messed up. But look at that, and you said, well, they're not going to accept something like that. Well, they did. They'd accept Junkyard Dog as being black and in the Cajun territory, and they, and they got behind him, and they pushed him. And uh, Bill Watts saw that they liked him and kept on and pushed him and pushed him. And, and I was lucky enough to be his partner for – for a, a couple of years and, and did real well that got actually got me started uh as being as a top wrestler uh there was a couple of times i i mean i could have went to new york and uh i had a, some health problems uh, i developed a uh a blood clot in my leg and couldn't go but arn anderson at that time we were kind of teaming up in the southeastern area and but I couldn't go, and he went, and so on and so on. But stuff like that happens. Yeah, obviously stuff like that happens when, when they're territories at the time. You know, you were lucky to kind of stay in one area uh, for your you know your entire career, uh, which is great. And having the opportunity to go to New York, you know, like you said, you had the chance, you had the health problem, and sometimes it comes, sometimes it doesn't. But you know, Mid South was in itself. Really, you know, a monster, monster territory. And for John and myself, you know, we're a little bit younger, so Mid-South was closing as we were really starting to watch the business. But just to read about it, just to see the the footage, to see the craziness, and to get our hands on the first time we saw you turn on the junkyard dog. My God, I can't imagine what it was like to be in your shoes that night. But if you can, take us back and kind of paint the picture of uh, what it was like turning on the JYD. Well, it, it was something that, that was, uh, uh, you never expected it to start with. You never expected that to happen. And and it was gearing toward uh, Mr. Wrestling 2 was starting to come in and, and so on and so on. And I'm, I'm looking at, I'm the mass wrestler. 
and junkyard dog and and I'm saying, okay, so I went to Bill Watts and we talked it over and junk and, and whatever and I turned on junkyard dog and when I did I I swear uh it took it took oh dozen it took at least a dozen police policemen from the from New Orleans from the city of New Orleans to get me back to the dressing room because those people love junkyard dogs so much and when I did that to him and they liked me I mean they were really picking up me they liked me they liked me I kept liking me and, and right there at the boom there it was I turned on junkyard dog and man you you would have thought I would have started a war I started a war now were you uh, I gotta ask, were you a little nervous uh, being out of, uh, oh, man, out of there with those security me? guards? <laughs> hey, hey, I had people trying to cut me. I had people, and I had a few uh, New Orleans uh, officers that took a couple of them that really got you know hit me back to the back and and brought me in there, and I got my I got my little say with them in the back room back there, and normally you don't get that, but. I seen a, a couple times Paul Orndorff got a couple of guys that jumped on him back there, and, and they'll bring him back there and say, "Hey, okay, you wanted some? Here you go. You are gonna get some." <laughs> and I don't know who would want to do that with Mister Wonderful. That's uh, that 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 in itself is uh, is a little crazy because I know he could jump off the handle pretty damn fast. But you and the JYD, I mean, is what a team! You guys defeated the Wild Samoans. You were tag team champions. And, yeah, again, for you to turn on, that's a big deal. But getting close to the JYD and working with the JYD, you know, kind of talk about, like, his magic. And in that territory, I mean, the JYD was like a god in Mid-South. So what was it like to kind of have him as your partner? But then, obviously, you know, you turned on him. How could you do that? (laughs) Well, you know, it kind of just comes with the territory. Uh, JYD was one of the best, uh, one of the best guys I ever, ever had contact with in the wrestling profession. Uh, it wasn't nothing he wouldn't do for me. I helped him drive up and down the road. You know, he said he always told me, you know, we go out and work out together. He said, I just don't sleep well. You know, do you mind driving some? Use my car. I buy the gas the whole bit. He was such a good, good guy. That uh, I mean, I mean, everybody just loved him, you know. And uh, uh, I mean, he he gave me a car. I needed a car one time. He gave me a car, almost with little or nothing, to pay for it and uh, keep me going. And and we he called me up three o'clock in the morning sometime. He'd say, "Look, hey, oh, he called me, Mister O. Hey, let's go work out. I can't sleep, but let's go work out." I said, "You kidding me?" He said, no, I'm not kidding you. I said, so, okay, I'll meet you over at Fauci's Gym in uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We'd go over there as open all night, and we'd work out, and then we'd go to eat breakfast, and we'd drive two, two, three hundred miles to work. What a territory. Everything seemed like it was kind of far away from each other and, and definitely had its fans you know, in different regions, and obviously Oklahoma was big, Louisiana was huge, but what was it like working under the cowboy, Bill Watts? Oh, man, hey, it was hard. Uh, people would say what they want to. Bill Watts was, he he was strict, uh, took a lot of, 
sometimes you messed up on an interview or if you messed up in a match that he really wanted to go this way, that way, uh, he would find you. He would find you and you'd say, well, you know, whatever. And then, but two, three weeks later, he would give you a bonus, which you'd say, well, he's giving me some of my money back, you know. But uh, he was hard. He was hard to get along with. He wanted it his way. He was strict, and uh, he didn't want no uh, mess-ups. He definitely has that reputation of being a very hard, tough-ass guy. Hello? And bait. Can you hear me? He I basically lose you? has. Are you still there? I think I lost you. Hello. Still there? Yes, Mr. Stubb, you still there? Okay, I, I lost you there for a minute. Oh, okay. Sorry about that. I was just asking okay. um, about basically about Bill Watts and him having that that tough reputation. Him basically saying. If you go out there and you get in a bar fight and things like that, like you better not lose the bar fight. Oh yeah, but yeah, oh yeah. Well, like he that told true. us all. He said, "You go out, you go, you go drink, you go have a good time, you go to these bars, but if you get in a fight and you lose, don't come back. Don't come back here because if you go and you get in a fight and lose, I don't need you." Basically, really trying to keep kayfabe and really trying to keep that tough guy image, right? Like you want to want the guys to all be tough and kind of always keep kayfabe. Yeah, right. He he liked those West Texas uh, 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 people. Like, uh, let's see who was. Oh well, I mean the Funks. You know all those West Texas uh, boys: Dusty Rhodes, Dick Murdoch. Uh, a lot of those guys up in there, he liked those West Texas boys. He liked the Oklahoma boys. And they all have a uh, definitely a tough reputation. Bruiser Brody, Stan Hansen, all those tough guys. Oh, yeah. There's, there's not many Bruiser Brodies. He was one. He was definitely one of a kind. And uh, Stan Hansen, hey, real good guy. Take his glasses off, he couldn't see you. You could run from him. Uh, <laughs> he, he was a good old boy. <laughs> now, obviously, you know, we talked about JYD and we kind of talked about DiBiase, but what about Mr. Olympia? What about that gimmick? What about the mask? Where, like, basically, where does that come from? Is that kind of your idea of, of becoming well, Mr. Olympia? It, it actually, you know. It actually, I, I went up to Tennessee and I worked with the Fullers and in, in the southeastern area up there, and I was myself, Jerry Stubbs, and uh, uh, worked a long time. And, and Bob Armstrong told me, "Look, we're we're moving the territory to Mobile and Pensacola and, and another area. Do you want to go?" And he said, "I thought of something that might, you might want to do. If you've been working out, you're starting to look good and." And all this, why don't you wear a mask and call yourself Mr. Olympia? I said, well, you know, that's a good idea. But I went down to uh, uh, the southeastern area, Jerry Stubbs first, kept this little idea in my head and worked on it and got some masks made and some other stuff. So when I I wanted to change over, uh, I did something that I I become Mr. Olympia. And I went to a different territory, which was, Bill Watts' toys, Jerry Stubbs first, 
and was the Louisiana champion, beat the Assassin in the Superdome. Uh, but then I left and went back to Pensacola, and that's when I become uh, Mr. Olympia. And then several years from there, I came back to Louisiana, and I was Mr. Olympia, and uh, people didn't recognize me as being Jerry Stubbs that I was there before. Did you like wrestling under a mask? Were you comfortable under a mask? Was it an adjustment for you? I, I enjoyed working under the mask. It's it's uh, mysterious. Uh, people look, you know, they try to figure out who you are, and they look, and they say, man, I know those eyes from somewhere, you know, and they can't figure that out. It's always intriguing and stuff like that, and sometimes you do surprise uh, your opponents because, a lot of times they don't know who you really are, uh, especially when you just first come into a territory. They're wondering, who is this guy, you know? I got to wrestle tonight or whatever, whatever, whatever. Uh, and then they get to know you, so it's different. But uh, it's fun. It's I enjoy it. Uh, the people seem like they, they enjoy it. But, you know, uh, talking about a mascot, Mr. Olympia, and I, I wrestled also as Jerry Stubbs. Most of the time, Jerry Stubbs was the bad guy. Mr. Olympia, if you put on that mask, Mr. Olympia was was the real, real good guy, uh, like with Junkyard Dog, except for the time when he uh, turned on him. Did you prefer playing the heel? The bad guy, if you will, did you, or did you prefer playing the face, aka the good guy? Well, you know, it, it was fun. If it was fun doing entertaining as both, because I, I, you know, you felt like you're some kind of an actor sometimes, and and if you can get the guy, get the people going and booing you, the more boos I get, the more, hey, you know, cussing me out or this, that, and the other. Hey, I'm doing a good job. And then when I'm in the good spot and I'm doing this and I'm tearing that heel up and that bad guy, hey, and they're they're just a yaying, you know, to, to the roof and back. It's the same difference. It just depends which what you can do. And I was actually good at uh, – I felt good at both. Did you feel that with the mask, it kind of gave you a little bit more longevity, like you could work as Jerry Stubbs, but then if you worked as Mr. Olympia, you kind of had more length in a ter- in a uh, territory? Yeah, I did. I thought I did. Have, you know, if I worked under the mask as, you know, as, as the baby face, I could turn heel at any time, which I did, you know, over in Louisiana and stayed a little while longer and then used the same thing to go back to uh, Pensacola and worked the Southeastern because I've been gone so long. Hey, let's pause one second here to tell you about the benefits of using Blue Chew and BlueChew.com. Now, you don't need to be a genius to know the benefits of Blue Chew, but for those of us that need to be enlightened, how about this? It's the first ever chewable, so you don't have to sit in that doctor's office and look like an idiot and wait for your turn. It's got the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, and it's fast-acting, and you can use it on a full stomach. And it comes in very discreet packaging, so your nosy-ass mailman isn't going to know what you're going to be doing and taking care of business in your bedroom later tonight. And if I 
had to give Blue Chew a grade, I would give it a G-O, as in go to bluechew.com and use the promo code POWERTRIP and get your first shipment free and pay only $5 shipping. Again, it's bluechew.com, B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Use the promo code POWERTRIP and take advantage of our very special offer. So get over to bluechew.com right now because using Blue Chew outweighs any of the other alternatives that are out there and make your weekend perfect. And why don't you go and spice up the finer things of life? Now, as you uh, and, and wearing the mask, and obviously, and you said kind of settling in in Continental and, and with the Fullers, what was it like working in the you know in the Southeast more so in, in that territory as opposed to Mid South? Well, it was sort of a little bit more laid back. Uh, Mid South, we had a lot of uh, long territories. I mean, we'd go from street from actually New Orleans to uh, Shreveport to Oklahoma City to Tulsa. Those are some long trips that we made. Alexander City, Lake Charles, uh, you know, over to New Orleans. We and Jackson, Mississippi, uh, a lot of the Mississippi towns. We made a lot of long, long trips. But over in Pensacola, it, I mean, it was kind of laid back. We we had some. Our longest trip was 250 miles. That was one time a week. Uh, and, and, you know, we got to go to the beach every day. We, we didn't have to leave to go to some of the arenas to work, uh, till about five, five thirty. I mean, that's a pretty good day. You get to go work out and you get to go to the beach and, 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 and whatever. And, uh, it was just a lovely territory over there in the Southeast. Did you like working for the Fullers? Obviously, uh, Ron. Fuller and Robert Fuller pretty, you know, would become pretty big names in wrestling, especially Robert Fuller. But did you enjoy working for the Fullers? Oh yeah, I, I mean, matter of fact, I, uh, I'm going down to uh, Chipley, Florida. I just got off. I'm the commissioner right now of the Southeastern Championship, the CCW, uh, down in the southeast around Dothan, Pensacola, all the area down there in the south. Uh, and I got to go to Chipley, Florida this weekend. Uh, and matter of fact, just got off the phone with Ron Fuller, meeting him down there. Ron Fuller's supposed to be there. Uh, 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 Tom Pritchard's supposed to be there. Wendell Cooley. A lot of the southeastern uh, people are supposed to be there. Uh, so we, we're having a little show down there this uh, Saturday night. Uh, so I'll get to see a lot of those. You know, you need, you really need to talk to uh, Ron Fuller. He's got uh, so many stories to tell about his family. You'd be, you know, you'd say, "Look, man, you need to go on TV and have a, a big editorial about whatever this is." But he's got stories about Buddy Fuller, uh, his family, and and the Welches, and so on and so on. It's something really to listen to. Yeah, and he's uh, you know he's obviously got a huge story to tell, and obviously with that territory being so kind of underrated and so kind of under the radar, and people kind of clamoring for that footage. Do you ever kind of you know really relish in like in an opportunity like that when you know with Wendell Cooley around and with the Fullers and with our Tom? Because a lot of that footage is kind of hard to find. Yes, it is. Uh, every once in a while, you you see something on maybe Facebook or something like that. But you wonder, where'd they get that? Because, I mean, I don't have it. 
uh, every time I get a chance to get something, a uh, uh, a clip of me, I try to get it uh, or get somebody to send it to me. Uh, but it, it, they're hard to find. I, I don't understand where they get all of it. But some of them, I, they have it. It is crazy. I, I almost wanted to ask you, but I guess you don't know, like where could you get the footage? Because so many people and you know fans like us were so interested in finding more and more Continental because you read about it and you see it. I mean, you read about it, and, and but you want to see it. I mean, there's no footage. Right. So I don't, I have no idea where you get it, man. I figured most of your TVs, a lot of people kept that stuff. Some of them didn't keep that stuff. You know, it's just like me, you know. I, I used to police for a living. Well, actually, I, I still work in law enforcement. I worked at the sheriff's department. Uh, uh, Got to go to work in the morning at 530. So, uh so I do a little extra stuff. I I was able to, I was in actually the law enforcement and uh, before I actually got into the wrestling business. Now, as far as I know we're talking wrestling, obviously, you know, real life and, and getting into law enforcement, as far as getting into wrestling, was that kind of always a passion of yours or did you kind of fall into it? Because like you said, you kind of always were more for law enforcement or involved in law enforcement even before wrestling? Well, you know, I, I was in, I had I had a friend, Robert Fuller. Uh, actually, we kind of knew each other in grammar school and a little bit of high school. Uh, and then my cousin, who was Mike Stallnecker, when he wrestled some, just very little bit as Mike Stallings, uh, they they went to school together and we always pra- uh, went and, and got into the wrestling ring in Locust Grove, Georgia, with Buddy and uh, and all them, and Robert and Ron, all of them had a ring set up. And we'd go down there and just play. Uh, so it got to a time to where uh, they needed some help on Atlanta TV, and Robert called us. He was, a, he was in the wrestling profession. He called us, and he said, look, we need some people on TV. Y'all can do the job. Let's come, come on up there. And you'll get paid for whatever, whatever. We had our trunks and our our boots. We, you know, we all had those, and we were all working out. And it, it just kind of one thing led to another. Pretty cool the the connections you can make, and obviously Robert Fuller would play a big role in your time for in Continental and working for the Fullers and the Welshes and stuff like that. But anytime you mention. Robert Fuller and wrestling, you got to talk about the Armstrongs as well. I feel like you know, they almost go hand in hand, right? Hey, yeah. I can tell you some stories about the Armstrongs, man. I uh, <laughs> actually, I trained Brad and Scott. Scott Armstrong, one of the, one of the Armstrongs, and Brad Armstrong. I, I trained those uh, at, at the whole time. We were, we're all living down in Pensacola. So I got to train uh, uh, Brad and Scott, and we all were all kind of like family, you know. But we kind of had a feud. We we're all feuded. We're all had having that uh, Bonnie and Clyde or Hatfields and McCoys or whatever kind of feud. Sometimes, you know. Uh, but but that's where it was. And me and Bullet, we had our thing going. And uh, he he finally he unmasked me one time. The first time he unmasked me, I had one underneath. 
So uh, it kind of, you know, everybody was surprised and, and that whatsoever. But probably a year or so from that, we had a, a real good, another one. And he did, he unmasked me. But uh, I always had people there to cover me up. But, but, you know, one thing leads to another. Everybody finds out who you are. And, and uh, as Jerry Stubbs, I was, I, I was pretty bad sometimes, man. <laughs> uh, pretty bad. Yeah, Bullet Bob, obviously huge, huge legend. And what was it like working with him? Because I feel like uh, one of those guys that was just over everywhere he went. Oh, easy. Oh, easy. All I had to do, I was in Florence, Alabama one time, and uh, I threw Bob out, you know, this old lady. She just, I, she must have just loved him because she was just a hollering and screaming. Ah, oh, you leave him alone. I threw him out, and I'm kicking him up doing this and doing that, and all of a sudden, she maced me. She maced me good, man. I had to leave that arena, go downstairs, get in the shower, turn the water on, let it run in my eyes, get all of it out. They threw her out, but uh, people get excited. They get excited, uh, you know, for who they like and who they don't like, and, and they want to scream and holler, and that's what they pay their money for. I love it. The more you scream, the more you holler at me, the more I feel good. That makes, though, that that couldn't have felt good. <laughs> I, I enjoy it, man. I, I really enjoy it. Uh, the, really, people say it's acting. It's not acting. It's performing. And you get you get yourself hurt. You know, the, there's Flair. Look at Flair. When Flair gives you a uh, a hit across the chest, he don't pull nothing. He hits you just as hard as he hits you, you know, and stuff like that you get used to, you got to take it because you're going to get it or get out. Absolutely, and that's kind of a, a great old-school tactic and a great old-school heel by you to kind of embrace the the hate, if you will, embrace the, the mace, if you will, as well. So it's it's kind of you know it's old school now thinking, but back then I mean boy that's old school basically old school or the highway. Right, old school old school to me is the best. I mean you get out there and you can fly here and fly there and do this and do that, but they don't they don't uh, they don't think about entertaining. They can play it doing what they want to do and not entertaining. I got to go back to Brad Armstrong just for a second because so many different guys that we've had interviewed say how talented he is and say he's one of the best workers. And obviously, you know, I, I've seen him wrestle. He definitely is. He was a tremendous, tremendous worker. Was that a lot of natural, you know, him just being a natural? Or did you, you know, were you a really good trainer in regards to really helping him along? Yeah, uh, it, it was just more or less, let's work out. Let me show you what you can do, what you can't do. And uh, I'll be here, and more or less, you, you're really giving them your body. You're giving them your body to show me what you can do. And, and hey, your body takes a pretty good beating on that, you know. I mean, if I grab a guy and I lock up with him and, and I go to fall backwards and I snatch his, his left arm, he's going to come over as an arm drag or I'm going to break his arm. Uh, man, but you know that. Hey, if the guy's going to do that to me, I'm going with him because I want to land as good as I can land 
without hurting me. You know, and you see that. A guy goes to hip toss, same thing. I'm going to try to land. He's got me, so I'm going to try to land the best way I can. You know, and a backdrop, same thing. Hey, man, oh, ain't nothing I can do. Just try to land the best way you can. Some of those rings, people can say what they want. They're as hard as a rock. Yeah, you always hear the stories of them using boxing rings instead of wrestling rings. So then, you know, there's no give at all. Hey, I know when I take a slam or a backdrop and that ring goes thump, that ring goes thump, I know know then that, hey, this ring ain't moved a bit. And (laughs) And you look at yourself and you pray, hey, please don't do that again, (laughs) you know. Yeah, never, never a good thing uh, as far you know as far as the the rings and stuff. But as far as in the ring and you know Mr. Olympia and then becoming a tag partner of a man you mentioned before in Arn Anderson, and he was kind of super Olympia for a while. So what was it like? Right. You know, we talked about uh, Brad Armstrong kind of being a protege of yours. What was it like having Arn Anderson be a protege of yours as well? Well, see, Arn was a, another one. So he he wrestled. With me over in uh, Mid South as Marty London, uh, and I was working with him then. And when I went back to Pensacola as Mister Olympia, uh, we brought him in as Super Olympia. Uh, and I'd been working with him over in Louisiana. Uh, cause he's from Rome, Georgia, and uh, I said, "Look, I, let's let's go over to Pensacola." We can make a lot of money on an idea that I got, and uh, he he becomes Super Olympia. I was Mister Olympia. I was jealous because he was Super Olympia. But hey, uh, sometimes when you do things like that, you beat each other to death because I mean you both want to look good. You want everything to look good. You're actually uh, uh, beating each other to death. And that's just a, a tremendous kind of underrated feud. You and Arn Anderson, you guys had a series of matches. You know, you beat him in at Loser Leafs Town match. And it's just kind of a, you know, really important feud for his career. Because obviously after that, you see, you know, the, the lengths that he, that he went to, becoming a huge legend in the business. Do you think you really kind of helped him along and helped develop who he would later become? Oh, yeah, I think so. He'd call, he'd call me at night and say, hey, man, I got this, I got that. Even when he was in New York, he'd call me and say, look, man, uh, I got an idea. Let me run it by you and see what you think. Uh, we're we're doing this four horsemen deal. We're doing this. We're doing that. What you think I need to do uh, or whatever. And I just tell him, hey, that's my opinion. I've I watched all of you. Y'all look good. Uh, maybe do this, that, and the other or take advantage more or, or this, that, and the other. Uh but yeah, he he uh, he he caught on quick. He caught on quick. Was that a common occurrence for you that you'll have younger guys like an Arn kind of call you up and ask you your opinion and ask you a lot of questions about what they should be doing? Yeah, being commissioner, uh, we got a lot of guys that come through uh, potential, you know, and they'll ask, you know, what do you think? What do you think? And, and I try to give them uh, honest. I try to be honest with them. 
Uh, some of them you just know, hey man, give it up. Don't you ever leave lose you know leave a job to do this. You just you got a lot of work to do. Or you just can't. It's just that hard. Uh, you gotta. I'll be honest with them. If you know, and if they want to continue, that's up to them. Do you relish kind of that mentor role? Because obviously, you know, Brad Armstrong and Arn Anderson kind of under your wing, obviously both tremendous talents. So do you relish that role as a mentor? Uh, well, I, I hate to think that I'm, you know, but I have a lot of people look up to me. Uh, even, even when I was uh, younger or whatever, you know, I, I used to play softball. I could hit a softball 450 feet. Uh, in a lot of tournaments and things like that. People knew me before I got into the uh, wrestling business. You know, I went to school around uh, Georgia and the place I lived and and stuff like that. I, I was a, a good high school, high school athlete, uh, college athlete, and, and so on and so on. And a lot of people knew me. And, and when I first started, hey, uh, I was getting my tail beat a lot of other people. And and I had to live with that. I mean, a lot of my friends saw that happen, uh, but I stuck with it till I I was able to uh, work my way up and be the man on the top, and 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 look at them now, and and man, you know, they're hugging my neck and so on and so on. It's funny how people change, huh? Absolutely, but you know, I we mentioned it earlier in the interview. I just got to touch back to it since you're talking about. You know, athleticism and, you know, we said the Mr. Perfect character, but with Kurt Hennig and, and having him carry on that name, you know, what did it mean for you to have Mr. Perfect Kurt Hennig go on to be who he was with that moniker, you know, after you guys teamed in Japan and you guys spent a lot of time around each other? What was it like to see Mr. Perfect Kurt Hennig take that moniker and kind of run with it? Well, you know, he had told me he was looking for something when we were over there in Japan. Uh, we were all out one night, uh, you know, uh, uh, having some drinks or whatever. And he said, man, you know, I need something. I I want to go back and I want to do this. And I don't want to do that. I said, hey, I, you know, I've, I've been doing something, calling myself Mr. Perfect. I said, why don't you do this? Why don't you take that uh, and, and use it, but go back and, and call yourself Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning, and use that. I mean, you know, it, you, you're on the big screen and, I said, you can make, make maybe it might be a good thing for you. And so he said, you know, I appreciate it and all that. But, you know, Kurt Hennigan was a, he was a character. I don't know if he knew much, but when we was in Japan, he uh, <clears throat> we roomed a lot. And uh, he would uh, take these Japanese wrestlers out. You know, we'd be out drinking at these clubs. He'd take these Japanese wrestlers and and – They'd, they'd have a little more drink than they needed. And we'd take them back to the room, and he'd put them in the room, and he would sneak over there. We'd room, and he'd, he'd sneak over there, and he would either, with a little shaving thing, he would cut their, one of their eyebrows off or half their beard off or whatever. And I said, one, we were in Tokyo one time, and I heard this. I said, what in the world? Kurt said, don't worry about it. Go back to sleep. And when I found out about it, he had he had trimmed one of the Japanese wrestlers' eyebrow off, just one of the side, and then the other side of his beard off. 
And he looked in the mirror and he saw all that and he went nuts. Uh, so that's the kind of character he was. I told him, if you ever do that to me, I'll kill you. But uh, <laughs> he never done it to me, but he was something else. I really liked Kurt Henning. That's exactly what I was going to ask you. Were you ever going to fall victim to uh, to Kurt Henning? But obviously you guys lay, you laid down the law pretty uh, pretty early in that in that friendship. Oh, yeah. I told him right away. I said, if you ever do that to me, man, it's it's candy bar the door because I'm going to kick you for that. <laughs> you know? But we had fun. We had a good time. We would go out into uh, some of the bars in, in Japan and all that, and and uh, we would drink and so on and so on. But we all made it back. We all stayed together and made sure we got it back. So, But it was good. It was a good experience. It was hard. It was really hard to work in Japan. Uh, the, it was the matches were harder. The the workers were harder. You didn't understand. You didn't hear nobody. You know, everybody talked something. You had to get used to speaking Japan to even know uh, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. But it was fun. I, I never trade that for nothing. Yeah, it seems like uh, you could have called Kurt Hennig Mr. Arithmetic or Mr. You know, Spelling, and he would have gotten that over just by his uh, his natural charisma and obviously the ability. But you talk about in Japan, you know, the guys being over there and it being tough. Obviously, a lot of the Americans would start to kind of stick together, and maybe that's how some of the friendships were formed. But did you see that a lot, that the American guys just kind of watched each other's back and made sure you, know, you all survived those long tours together? Yeah, pretty much, but you'd be surprised uh, how uh, the American wrestlers were accepted. Uh, they were accepted pretty good over there. No, they treated you pretty good. They uh, uh, wine, you know, you'd ride these buses going to each town, but uh, you'd have a TV and, a, and ride this bus, and you'd beg for them to stop at one of these good hamburger places on the side because of the food, but uh, it, it was. Everybody got along pretty good and uh, didn't have much trouble. Now, how did we you did, like now, that trip? I'll tell you one thing we did have. Uh, Terry Funk, uh, one, <laughs> we were about 16 floors up in January, and he didn't like the room, and he threw the, the bed out the window, and it went way down 16 floors to the swimming pool, and they kicked us all out, I'll tell you that much. That sounds like something that uh, the Funker would definitely do. So those trips, though, as hard as they are, you know, on the body, you got to travel all that way. You know, did you like the physicality aspect of it? Because obviously it's a little more snug, it's a little stiffer over there, but did you kind of relish a little bit more with that kind of style in the uh, in the Japanese wrestling matches? Well, actually, you knew that when you went over there, that they were stiffer that uh, they worked more stiff, that they, you know, they were solid, uh, so on and so on. So you knew that when you went, so you couldn't gripe and complain because you knew that. You knew that ahead of time. Uh, and you just lay it back. You just, you be as just as stiff as they are, and they love it, and you love it, and you, you, uh, you learn to uh, adjust to it. Now, as we start to wind it down, you hit the wind down button, 
you know, you worked, we haven't even talked about championship wrestling from Florida or Georgia championship wrestling or mid-Atlantic with the Crockett's, but obviously, you know, Continental and Mid-South being two big ones for you, all Japan being big for you. Do you have a favorite territory that you worked? Actually, I, I like the area around Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, around the uh, University of Tennessee up in that area, with Mobileville, and uh, up in some of those areas, and Marstown, Tennessee. Uh, those areas there, it seemed like the people were just kind of laid back and, 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 and nice. But, you know, I like the Mid-Atlantic area, too. I mean, you know, I was all the way in Memphis. Memphis had a good territory. Uh, those people up there, they make good money. Jerry Lawler did good. Uh, Austin Idol did good up in that area. Uh, all those areas were good areas. I was there for a short time uh, under the Masters Superstar and uh, uh, did a deal with Bill Dundee and such, 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 such. I didn't stay about six weeks, but then I went somewhere else. But all those territories, uh, I don't believe I've ever been to a territory that I didn't really like. I, I did go to Nashville one time with Nick Doulis, and uh, he paid me $22.50, and I swear I'll not go back. <laughs> That's the only time I can remember. Hmm. Underpaid, uh, for sure. Now, with... Hello? You ha- can, you, can you hear me? Hello? Still there? Yeah, yep. we got you. We're still we're still on. Okay. Can you hear me? All right. I can barely hear you, but I hear you. Okay. Um, just wanted to, you know, we're talking about some of the favorite territories, and obviously you enjoying much of the territory life, living, you know, obviously continental, mid south. You talked a little bit about Memphis, but do you have a favorite match, or maybe a couple favorite matches in your career? Uh, I would have to say a couple of matches that I had with Flair. I had several, you know, believe it or not, I had a match with Lutez, uh, which was, you know, just in my mind is memorable. Uh, and, and he put and he put me over. I beat him. I beat him in Birmingham. Uh, and I wrestled Ric Flair a couple times. I had Harley Race a couple times. I mean, I had some good people. The Anderson Brothers, uh, Abdulli the Butcher, uh, a lot of the top wrestlers. I look back now and I say, you know, a lot of people didn't get that opportunity to work with those guys, but I did. You know, wrestling two, uh, wrestling one, uh, shoot, I can, you know, just list back, back, back uh, of guys that I just, you know, look at and say, you know, I had the privilege of, of working with those guys. Andre the Giant. I mean, it wasn't just me; it was somebody else too, but. When I first started, I mean, uh, we had him on Atlanta TV a couple of times, and uh, he beat us, but just think, me and Andre the Giant in the ring together. Awesome, man. And beating Lutez as well. That's just unbelievable. I mean, Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I thought I'd done something wrong, I tell you. I thought I'd done something wrong, and here it goes. He going to kill me. But, hey, man, he just shook my hand and the whole bit and so on and so on. I mean, you just don't get that every day. <laughs> no. And then working Flair and Harley Race and obviously Andre is unbelievable and so many different guys. I mean, 
Steamboat. We mentioned Stan Hansen, uh, Macho Man Randy Savage, Rick Martel, Bob Backlund. Uh, well, let me tell you a little something. For, I don't know how much longer we got, but let me tell you something about me and a little uh, uh, Savage. We yeah. we uh, actually played professional baseball against each other. He played for Cincinnati. We were in the look, rookie league down in Bradenton, Florida. He played for Cincinnati. I played for each other. Randy played uh, uh, first base, and I was a catcher. Randy could play. He could throw with left or right-handed. He could be. He could throw with either hand. Uh, but I was a catcher, and we played a lot down there together. And uh, I living in Clayton County in Georgia and all that. Randy was here, and he worked out at a little health spa that I did. And we worked out a lot together before before we went down and and played in spring training and such. So uh, that was that was something different, you know, that uh, kind of worked along with the wrestling profession. Very very cool. Uh, not every day you could say, oh, I played professional uh, baseball with the Macho Man, and oh, we both happened to become pretty big. Uh, you know, pretty big and pretty remarkable wrestling careers and pretty big, remarkable wrestlers. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, I never thought I would be in the wrestling business and I knew he was because that time we were playing ball. But then after that, after it was all over, you know, I, I had the opportunity with Robert Fuller and the Fullers and, and the Goldens and, and such to get into the wrestling profession. Now, who would you say is your favorite opponent that you've ever had? I mean, Bullet Bob would be up there maybe, or, or Arn, or maybe Tom Pritchard, or Brad. Do you have a favorite opponent? Gosh, man, I'd have to say it was three or four. Arn Anderson, Barb Armstrong, uh, even Robert Fuller. Uh, we've had, you know, we, we've been tag team partners, and we we didn't get along at certain points. Uh, uh, shoot. I would say, yeah, Arn and Arn would be one one of the most, you know. And, and uh, me and DB, well, wrestling too. Me and DB Ossie had a thing with wrestling too, and Tyler Conway. I would think one big deal me and wrestling too thing had where I stole his mask and such and such out the dressing room, and uh, we had a big deal about. Oh, my gosh. There's so many of them, and we've covered a lot of ground here, and uh, this is where we're going to start to wrap it up. But just sharing all these memories and telling these stories is unbelievable. And getting a chance to go back and watch them throughout the years and see what you've done. And for those folks that have not had the opportunity to go check out any of Jerry Stubbs' matches, I mean, please go find them. If you type it into YouTube, you'll find some of those matches we talked about, the ones with DiBiase, the turning on JYD. It's unbelievable to see the frenzy and the, the pandemonium. But, you know, Jerry, as we wrap it up, the thing we like to end with is kind of looking back at your career. You know, we always say when you close the book and when it's all written and said and done, you know, what do you want the fans to remember about Mr. Olympia? You know, what do you want them to remember about Jerry Stubbs and how you gave it your all in the ring? But, you know, what do you think the fans think about Jerry Stubbs at the end of the day? I just, I just want them to uh... – look back and say, look, you know, that Jerry Stubbs was one hell of a wrestler. And that Mr. Olympia, he could do it all. So as one big package, he entertained the people. We enjoyed it. 
I hate to, you know, that this area is gone, but, uh, you know, just looking back, I just wanted people to know that uh, I feel as good as they do about watching me and entertaining them because uh, I feel feel like I've done what the best I can do. Yeah, absolutely, and by the time everybody's done listening to this, I think we're all going to give each other a wink just in the same vein as a Kurt Hennig and say that this was absolutely perfect. So we want to thank you very, very much for coming on with us tonight. And uh, we'll let you get back to your uh, to your Dancing with the Stars. But we appreciate you coming on with us and giving us some time. It's been a lot of fun. Man, it's been my pleasure. Anytime. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.